Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled, per usual, for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on New and Noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that, enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode. All right. So today I am super excited to have Jake Dunlap on the call. Uh, Jake has had an incredible career. I mean, he was 10 years as the vice president of sales success and sales ops at Glassdoor, um, led them through tremendous growth and an acquisition. Um, Chartbeat, same thing. Uh, VP of sales at No Weight, acquired by Yelp. And we met uh, because Jake is an LP at Stage 2 Capital and now running Scaled Consulting. Um, so Jake, welcome to the call. Hey man, I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, you know, I just want to dive right in because you have so much amazing in the trenches experiences, um, starting really early and, and growing through to, you know, $1.2 billion exit at Glassdoor. Um, where would you like to begin given, you know, should we start really early days when you were just building that team up from, you know, zero to 40 in the first 18 months? Would that be a good place to start? Yeah, I mean, we can start there. I mean, I started my kind of sales leadership journey at CareerBuilder before that. Um, and, you know, I think the important thing for a lot of people is just, I talk a lot about career advice and how to think about building and being thoughtful about your career. But, you know, the, the thing is, I laid the foundation to be able to put myself in a position to get a job that, you know, when I got the offer letter for Glassdoor, I, you know, I'd hesitated to tell a story, but I've told it a few times now. It had someone else's name on it. And that was literally 16 years older than I was. He might have been even older than that. And, wow. and it's because of the decisions that I made around how I was, how I was mindful from uh, you know, how I developed as a leader going back into the field to learn enterprise sales. And so you know, when I put myself in that position, um, when that role became open, it was, you know, I was kind of a good candidate for that first phase. So I wasn't at Glassdoor through the acquisition. You know, I was the original builder. You know, so I was the I was a perfect person to come in because I had a repeatable sales process that I'd learned at Career Builder and Hone there. I had proven track record as a as a sales leader and a proven track record as an enterprise, you know, sales uh, individual. And so I think a lot of people, you know, they they want that VP role, but they don't have the skill set. You know, they want the title, they want the director, they want the whatever. But a lot of people got you got to put in the work first. And so for me, you know, we scale, I scaled that team from zero to almost a million in MRR in, in under 16 months. So, and, and how we did it is one, I had a framework, like I already had a proven process for how to sell. Um, and you know, we, we closed 24 of the fortune 100 in the first year. And it was because, you know, it's the ability to craft the value to the industry. And I think what, what we did a really good job of was not talking about the reviews, not talking about, like I, I would, I, my team was not allowed to talk about reviews. 
I would know if they talked about reviews, if they talked about employment branding, like that was a no, no. Instead, we talked about outcomes. We talked about getting the right individuals. And I think when you're in those early stages, not too many companies early on don't focus enough on the outcomes versus what the product does. And I think we figured out very quickly how to have an effective conversation with people around outcomes we would generate for them versus what the pro- how they viewed the product. And so that's why we were able to be, you know, so successful so so fast. So I mean, surely coming from career builder, there there were pieces of your process that fell into place and worked and you could run the playbook. And then others that maybe needed adjusting and and you weren't expecting to, yeah. you know, push back on. What were those? Oh yeah, no, I made lots of mistakes, man. Let's let's not <laughs> let's let's not get that twisted whatsoever. I made lots of mistakes. So there's a few, and and I think that these are can't. They, so look, when you, I, I, it's so funny to look back at. So I want you to imagine, I'm 30 years old. Okay, I just turned 30. Maybe I just turned 31. Sitting literally right next to me is Bill Gurley. Sitting at the head of the board table is Rich Barton. And if you guys know, Bill Gurley was, was VC of the year, I think last year, the year before. Rich Barton started Expedia, Zillow, Glass. Like, I, had, I didn't even know what I was doing. I, the CEO of TripAdvisor no over here. I just like, I, didn't, I had no clue how random this was. You know, we got battery, you know, battery sitting right next to me in this, this board meeting. And I'm just, I mean, we're crushing numbers, so that helps everything. But, you know, I didn't really... I didn't know the game that well, right? I didn't I, I didn't come from the VC world. And so I think some of the mistakes I made early on is one, getting mentorship. Uh, getting mentorship from men and women who have been where you're going to be two to three years from now um, to help understand kind of what, like what we're talking about now, uh, you know, pitfalls to avoid. And I think some of the pitfalls I made, one were around hiring and training and onboarding. I think, look, the, at the rate that I was expected to scale, Man, that stuff's got to be dialed in. I think we, I think we had a fairly dialed in um, onboarding process, but the hiring and interviewing process was, you know, a little sloppy, probably. And I think as you grow and as you scale, you know, that ability to have a playbook, to have all of those details worked out, is just so critical. You know, I probably let HR handle too much of it and should have taken more of that on myself. Um, I think that was probably one of the most critical mistakes that, that we made that I made whenever we were growing and scaling was was that is not just nailing that role profile um, faster. When you did, what did that look like? And who were some of your first mentors who really made a big difference for you? Yeah, so so what what we finally did is we, we did it at the end of 2012, I can't remember 11, 12, we, we basically started doing assessment tests. And what we saw consistently, so we did kind of a, a, a look back on like, okay, well, well, what worked and what didn't work that year. And when we looked at, we had current employees fill it out, and then we had it from previous employees that didn't work out. And we started to see, um, this it was called Profiles XT is the one that we used. And you know, it kind of tests you. There was a consistent skill that if someone wasn't strong, that they were an underperformer, unless they really over-indexed in some of the other ones. And it was logical thinking that when you're trying to make a market, you need someone who kind of thinks like, you know, in a outside the box yet logical format so they can explain things. And so what we found is like, intelligence was really important, you know, like two, <laughs> two, yeah, two plus X equals five. What is X, right? Like even basic stuff, but I mean, it did, it had geometry, it had some stuff in it, man. And, but it was a very common theme. So I, I'm a big fan, a proponent of using them in the process. They're not the end all be all, but I'm a big fan now of using that in the process. 
um, to try to do it. Um, and then I think that that was the big adjustment, right? Is now saying, okay, going forward, um, we need to maybe maybe weight this characteristic more than we had in the past. And I think that 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 was kind of the big learning and the big aha for us um, is that okay, we, we need to start to really over-index on on making sure that people fit this profile for where the product is today. Because keep in mind, this is back. Glassdoor had like. Man, how many unique visitors do we have? Two or three, two million a month? I mean, it is, I mean, and <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was early days, right? And so what you need from your sales reps changes rapidly. As, as your name becomes more well-known, uh, you can hire different types of people. They don't have to be an educator. They don't have to be a, a thought, you know, someone who can provoke thought. They can be more of an executor. And I think those are the types of lines that you look for. And now you know, after working with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of startups, you know, that, I think that's a pattern that just emerges is, is that need for a specific type of sales individual early and then how that evolves when you go from, you know, one to 10, 10 to 30, 30 to 100. How, do you now have a good process for identifying early and just as quickly as possible when folks aren't going to be that fit? Like if you step yeah. into an org and you didn't hi- make that hiring call. How do you quickly evaluate? Yeah, I mean, for us, we there's a, a great series of books uh, by a guy Jeff Smart and his father's. I can't remember his dad's name, but it's there's it's just kind of a, there's three books. It's called Top Grading, Power Score, and Who. Um, and we've really just institutionalized, you know, com- key components. And I'll just give everyone kind of the, the quick quick rundown. So the first is a skills interview. So we've got um, for each role, we've got skills and, you know, with one through five, but also red, yellow, green, right? Red means integrity. There's, those are the things that like, I can't coach that. I can't coach red things. It's like, it's just who you are. Like yellow are things that are, are, are you can coach to, but they're hard and green are easy, easy things that you can coach to. So you're not just measuring a skill set by you know, how good or proficient. It's also how important is it to this job and how easy is it to change? So we do a skills interview. The other thing is, the, is what's called the experience interview. And we go back in time, dude. I mean, I'll go back. I don't care if you have 20 years of experience. I'm going to go back to your first job out of college. And, and we ask the same set of questions every time. What were you hired to do? What was the high point? Uh, you know, what, and, and what accomplishment are you most proud of? Uh, what was the low point? When I talk to your boss, how are they going to rate you on a scale of 1 to 10? And then I make them spell, spell their boss's name, even if it's John Smith. Right? So then guess what? It, 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 you know how somebody answers that question versus like, so what do you think your boss will, will say about you versus when I talk to your boss, how are they going to rate you? And then you make them spell their name and then you start to see a pattern, right? And then it's, why'd you leave? So it, literally, and we go through every job. We ask the exact same questions. The other thing that, that our process does is eliminates most bias, right? You know, obviously I think every organization is trying to figure out how to make sure that their interview and uh, process is more inclusive. We're going to be releasing kind of our whole plan uh, for free and, you know, helping companies for free to, to implement this. It also eliminates all that bias for, you know, looking for this type A alpha, whatever it is for sales, you know, for sales and other roles. Um, but, but that process has cleaned up a lot because it, it's a consistent process. It's uniform across the team. Everybody on my team knows it. And so it doesn't matter, you know, and when we're, we're implementing it for our clients, it's just a very streamlined, easy way to, to get uniformity and, and to get consistency in what, what success looks like in the role and what success looks like uh, for when someone, someone hopefully, you know, hopefully predicts what, when they get started. So here's a weird question for you. Would you pass your own test? Like if you, if someone did this to you and went back, like, you know, if you were, if you were applying for one of these roles, like, would you pass your own test? Depends on the role. Yeah, it depends on the role for sure. I would say there's elements of the test I would pass and then others I would not pass. And and so for me, part of the reason I started my own firm 
you know, was after Glassdoor, I went to Chartbeat. Again, same thing, super successful. We scaled from one to four million in, in under a year. Um, and uh, dude, I suck at politics, dude. Like, at, <laughs> but I mean, keep in mind, it was thirty. I was like 30, 31, and thirty-two, like 31, 32, 33 at this time, right, dude? Like, I didn't know what the I didn't know what I was doing, man. You know, so like, I just, I didn't, I never had that mentorship. So it's funny you asked me the question, I didn't answer it. I've never been a big mentors, dude. I'm just, I'm like, there's people I talk to and I pick their brain on, but at the same time you know, the amount of people that are at where I want to be is just not <laughs> like, are, are just a different breed of like what I see. Now, back then, I probably I needed it more than I did now. I probably still need it more. I mean, I have a coach now, right, which I which I think is like a different relationship. Um, but but for me, as I went through that process, I just realized like, dude, I suck at being an employee. I am not a good employee. I'm extremely <laughs> good at the job. Like I, I put myself in the top 5% of all sales leaders, right? And salespeople, I put myself in the top 1%. I don't think I'm being egotistical. I've got the stats to prove it. But with that being said, I put myself in the bottom 20% when it comes to like, you know, uh, okay, well, hey, okay, yeah, that's great. You know, okay, like placating conversations with small talk internally, which by the way, is a skill that I, I look over the course of the last seven years, I think I've gotten slightly better at it. And, and it is something that you need to get better at. You know, could I have stayed longer at Glassdoor if I, you know, wasn't a prick to our legal guy? Maybe, I don't know, right? Would, would, they, have not wanted to layer, would they have not wanted to layer me for another year or two? Maybe, I don't know. You know, but, but I just... I just realized like, look, my path was, I love solving the problem. I love sales. I love building and fixing. And why don't I just do this for myself? You know, like, why am I killing myself for these companies? Just, and I'm, and I'm completely disposable. doesn't matter how good you are. As a, as a sales leader now, Jason Limpkin just put this out. 70% of sales leaders now don't even make it a year. 70% of venture back sales leaders don't even make it a year it is a and i re, dude i realized that back in 2013 i realized dude i'm signing up for a loser's game lose now granted look when glassdoor exited i made money you know like fantastic but you know i i just realized that wasn't my path and i feel like the vp of sales job and, and i know you, you guys hit the marketing side it's the same man it's a losing proposition you're not going to make it four years i literally i can count in, like on two hands out of hundreds or thousands of sales leaders I know that made it four years, maybe even one, <laughs> maybe even one hand. It's the classic, like, uh, you know, <clears throat> if sales and marketing aren't working, then it, then the, uh, it, it, it's like when product, you know, when the company wins, it's because uh, of the product. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then when, when the company doesn't win, it's because sales and marketing are fucking it all up. <laughs> that dude. And I heard, so this is last year. There's an ex-sales leader who's now in-house at a VC. I'm not going to say his name. I, I wanted to vomit. And, and he's on stage on a panel and he's talking about, you know, you look if you're, because now he's on the VC side, right? He's like, so look, if you're a sales leader, it's, you know, look at the product. You got to figure it out. I'm like, fuck you, dude. Bullshit, <laughs> dude. Bullshit. Like it's that attitude, man. I, it's it, like I, that again, like I, I realized it very early in my career. I'm like, wait, so wait, this is how these dudes play that? Nah, man, I'm not signing up for that. I'm not going to be your, you know what? I'm going to go yeah. do this shit for myself. I'm yeah. going to let you dictate my future. And I feel like too many sales leaders, and let me tell you the sad part. You might see this in marketing too. Um, the amount of sales leaders, we have a lot of Excel. I mean, all of our all of our consultants are ex-sales leaders, right? 
And, and there's a big batch of them that will come to us. They'll work on a couple of engagements. And because they built a $400,000 a year lifestyle, because they made that amount of money once, really they're a $250,000 leader who made three fifty dollars once or four, they can't get out of it, man. They got two kids in private school. They bought that extra house in Connecticut or Tahoe or whatever. Yep. And they don't want to do it, man. They don't, but they built a lifestyle they're trapped in. And I see this with so many sales leaders, man. They come, they work with us for three to six months. They have a blast and they're like, because they're not fully working and, and there's some anxiety that first year when you start something, they have to go back in house. And sure. it's just, it's just, you know, that's my other advice. When you're a VP, you know, first time director, first time VP, stay hungry. You know, don't, don't build that lifestyle, you know, leave flexibility, leave yourself options. Um, you know, so you, you can do what you want and maybe it is to be a sales leader. That's great. Right. Internally or not. So so what, what are some of the biggest, you know, you're doing tons of engagement, what, what, like some of your customers are Microsoft and LinkedIn and Palantir. I mean, you've got your, the list goes on. Um, what are some of the biggest aha moments that you drive for your customers? Yeah. I mean, look, our, our client, we, I mean, we still, our, our biggest segment is, is your segment. It's the growth stuff, right? Companies trying to go from one to 10, 10 to 20 or 20 to 50. And, and it's really, there's, there's, I think the, the aha for a lot of those companies is the importance of non-revenue producing heads to support the efforts. Meaning I think so often um, we, we underinvest in enablement, we underinvest in ops, and we underinvest in leadership training, which are infrastructure things. And because of that, what ends up happening is the, you know, it's like, it's like building a, a building with like, you know, shaky scaffolding, you know, and like shaky. And, and so bringing in people early to help with you. And I mean, obviously, look, this is part of what we do. You know, we have interim operations people. We're doing more sales technology implementations, you know, with outreach alone, we're doing 10, 15 a month. Um, so there's these tech op optimization and then there's content. You know, how many sales teams, do you know, that are like, yeah, we've got the content we need to be successful. <laughs> Uh, none, maybe a zero. Yep. And so, you know, but you don't need someone full time, you might need them two to four days a week. And so I feel like, you know, we're trying to build the same way marketing, marketing has all these resources, they've got outside demand gen agency, website, you know, PR. And so, you know, I, I think as, a, as an organization that's growing and scaling, don't underinvest in process, you know, don't underinvest in infrastructure, you know, because it'll just allow you to, to get your people up to speed, you know, 40 50% faster. You know, so again, it's like, I think a lot of founders early on under invest in support and it's, it's a, it's a mistake. All right. So now let's shift gears. You, you know, you work in a really high pace environment with clients who I'm sure are super demanding and, and just like very type A, what do you do to unwind and enjoy life outside of work? Well, in like this, this whole COVID world, um, I've been <laughs> golfing a lot more. I went. I played 18 last night. So I've been golfing a couple times a week now. It's been kind of great. Um, you know, I'm in the office right now, but I've been working from home primarily. Um, and, you know, I think just taking for, for me, I'm a, I'm a calendar freak. Like I, I have in any given week, I have 50 to 60 different meetings. And, and a lot of people are like, Oh, what the, like, dude, you must be crazy or mental. It's like, it's actually not, it's actually very freeing for me. Like I, I work everything backward. You know, like let's say I've got a meeting or a project or something that needs to happen in two months. Everything for that project is in my calendar before I ever get started. And what, what that allows me to do is I just show up and execute every day, dude. I'm not thinking about what's next because I already, I've already prioritized for myself. And I'm managing every day. I'm looking at my calendar 
you know, one, two, three, four weeks in advance and making sure I'm always prioritizing the right things. And so I'm not one of those people that works, you know, 80 hour weeks, et cetera. I work like a probably a pretty solid 50 to 60 and I'm efficient, you know, and so I, I can go and, you know, have you know, a couple glasses of rosé and hang out and smoke meat and, you know, on the weekends. So I think a lot of people, a lot of people, what happens is they also reward, you know, one of our core values at Scaled is work smart. When I see people working too long hours, I check them. I'm like, that's not how we roll here. That's not our culture. You don't send emails at 3 a.m. here. You don't send out emails on whatever. And because I, chances are that means that there's an inefficiency in their day to day. And so let, let's go focus on working smart, not working hard, work smart and hard, right? But work smart first. And um, a lot of people have that twisted. And so I think I, I, I've from a very young age, I figured out ways to be wildly successful um, using data and being lazy. Um, and then when I coupled it with work, work hard, then that allowed me to kind of excel past my peers relatively quickly. <laughs> I, uh, I, I love that. I sometimes try to explain that inherently I'm an incredibly lazy person, but I'm also super driven and I work hard when I'm working. So it's, it's so that I can be lazy. I work really hard when I'm working. I totally relate. To that. That, that's it, man. And it's about, I'm always looking for the angle. Always look, I'll tell a quick story here. So like, just to illustrate my very first job out of college, right? I went to Missouri state university at the Harvard of the Ozarks, um, <laughs> uh, as we like to officially, uh, you know, uh, call it, um, you know, and I wasn't a great student by any stretch. I took over, I took like what, five and a half years to graduate, like, but I love stats and I've always been kind of an analytical thinker. And, and so I went to Tampa Bay Rays. That was my first job out of college. Um, got promoted really rapidly. Um, I had sales experience in college. And so I hit the ground running. I've been talking that a lot about more. Like I came out of college with two years of work experience. I was working full time and going to school full time. I was doing telemarketing, waiting tables, all kinds of stuff. And so I, I decimated every new grad. I mean, I destroyed. I was, I, I was out selling people who had been in sales for, for years because I, I got real work experience in college, which is like the advice that I give to every, you know, kind of college person um, and, and new grad too. But, but what I did is after the first year, I did a scatter plot of all the inbound leads. I went into our shitty CRM and I pulled out the, the timestamps of when all these deals came inbound that closed. And, and our, our inbound machine, it, like it worked on a loop. And so what would happen is if you picked up the phone, it would skip that person and go to the next person. And what I saw was there was a pattern of behavior where between like 11 and 11.20, 2 and 2.40, like 4 and 4.20, where nobody called inbound. So, so you know what I did? I sat there for the first two hours and just sent emails and did stuff. And I, Tampa Bay Rays, this is Jake. Tampa Bay Rays, this is Jake. And where all my peers are making cold calls. And they're like, dude, this is, it's messed up that you're doing this. I'm like, dude, here's the data. I literally showed these people the Excel sheet. I go, guys, this is the data. Why are you making calls? You shouldn't do that. And then they kept making calls. I'm like, <laughs> stupid. Like, why would you keep doing that? And now they fixed it like, like three weeks later. But I literally, I've always thought that way. I'm always like, if this is the way it's being done, that's the baseline. How am I going to break this thing and, and drive exponential results? And I feel like that's always been my mindset is once you get the baseline, it's like, okay, where, where am I going to go squeeze out another five or 10%? And I'm telling you, it's like, I was talking to someone about data and salespeople. I'm like, as a sales rep, man, I would be micro tracking every activity I did, not for my boss, for myself. Because if I can pinpoint where I need to get better or my team needs to get better, then I can go and make changes. This isn't for pipeline meetings. This is so I can analyze my own sales process and realize, look, for some reason, I'm stuck in stage two. Lisa's really good at the stage two of the sales process. Let me go sit down, whatever Lisa's doing, I'm going to rip that off and go do it for me. Now, now I'm better. 
And, and I feel like not enough people take that proactive mindset. Even leaders, leaders don't take that, you know, proactive mindset around a lot of this. Totally. All right. So Jake, when I call uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, how do you spell your manager's name again? Uh, that would be Clark uh, Beacom, B-E-A. He actually lives in Austin now. He's actually the head of the uh, CRO for the Austin FC, our new MLS team. Oh, no way. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> we haven't hung out yet, but we will. Nice. This comes full circle. Well, Jake, this has been a pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, man. I had a good, I had a blast too. 